Welcome to Unlearn, where we talk to industry leaders about unlearning how we go to market. I'm Kelly Sarabin, and I run tech partner enablement and advocacy at HubSpot. And I'm Asher Matthew, co-founder of Partnership Leaders. The old ways of going to market are getting more expensive and less effective. To thrive in an era of digital transformation, you have to go to market differently. Let's find out how. All right, Kelly, we're back. I see your, your camera angles changed again. <laughs> Is that a well, thing? Well, my fancy camera battery needs to be recharged, so I'm back to the regular old Mac camera. Uh, <laughs> I will be less marker. high definition if anybody's Stop watching on video. Got it. Got it. All right. Hey, Kate. Hey, what's happening, Asher? Hey, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. I'm low def, super low def today. <laughs> you know, like, I know. Even in my mind, like, you know. You were just telling us about Mr. David Mirman Scott. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with him. Oh, he's the best. So um, David Mirman Scott is one of our investors. He's become a friend, actually. And he, I met him. Someone introduced us for investment or for to become a customer. So he became a customer. And then 10 seconds later, he's like, I'm investing. You know, pull, pull out all the stops. And he's an amazing, amazing, really genuine human who, by the way, has like some crazy... Um, like hobbies. So he's a massive um, astronaut and space um, buff. And he's got all kinds of really cool, I don't know, things. Do we have like a super expensive telescope? I feel like that would be required. He has, um, <laughs> he has like, I think the joystick for one of the Apollos, right? Which is oh, pretty cool. so like paraphernalia. That's, yeah, yeah, that like real, real deal stuff. And then he's a guitar <laughs> aficionado as well. Like, so he has some amazing guitars. But he wrote this very famous book called um, Phenocracy, which was all about the fandom of the Grateful Dead. So he's this massive, massive deadheaded as well. So of course, when we met, like sparks flew because we had like a million things in common. You know, my <laughs> my uber power is turning listeners into fans. Or customers into evangelists. Interesting. And actually, um, we've had some prior episodes talking to people about the new role of media in B2B SaaS and how mm. companies are often buying that up because they don't have the skill set in-house. But I think there is that strong analogy, right? Like converting, telling good stories, converting to customers and converting to listeners. And, and, and what is the same about those skills? For sure, I, I like need, I really I hate to hate to do this, but I, I need to tell you guys my David Mirman Scott story. Oh yeah, you got one. Okay, <laughs> tell me. Wait, wait, you guys are gonna like love this. <laughs> wait, so you're a fanboy? Is that what you're saying? Oh, this guy is unbelievable. <laughs> like, like, like I'll tell you, like, so, like for everybody who's in sales, like my big thing is you have to learn marketing. You're not gonna be able to survive in the future if you don't know marketing as a seller. And specifically, David Muir Scott's like speciality is newsjacking. And he's like, how do you take current events, tie your value proposition into them, and then amplify that message and make it resonate with people, right? And he has a number of stories on this stuff, right? Yeah. And so because I have been very fortunate of, uh, to have been mentored by a lot of amazing people, my thing has always been like, let's give back and invest in the future of our leaders, right? And so a very long time ago, and this is probably like 10 years ago, um, I decided to do the Emerging Leaders Day at this 
thing called the Worldwide Partner Conference, which is, is Microsoft's partner conference, right? And, uh, and, and, and I saw that the people that attended the conference were all in their like 40s and 50s or maybe 60s. And I'm like, these people are going to retire. Like, like, where's the next generation of these leaders, right? And, uh, and I happened to be on the Worldwide Partner Executive Board and there's like 30 CEOs and like, uh, uh, sorry, 27 CEOs and three young people. And it was like Amy, me, and, and another, another gentleman who was also in the Bay Area. Uh, and then we were like, we have to do something for the young people, right? Like, like for the people who are going to be leaders and want to like run businesses in the future, right? And, uh, uh, and, and so, so we, we got permission from Microsoft, like as part of their entire conference, they gave us like five sessions to do, right? And, uh, uh, and one of them was... Uh, uh, by Steve Clayton, who's the chief storyteller of Microsoft. He does like all of core comms at Microsoft now, right? But then the other session was David Muir Scott. Oh my and, God. <laughs> and, and so the story gets better because like, like the, the, and this is, this is just like a really good example of like an ama- a person who is just working at his prime, right? And this is even like 10 years ago, right? And so, so the session's on a Wednesday, and David is thinking the sessions on the Thursday, oh. and the sessions, but the sessions ready on a Wednesday, and so we are like, okay, before his session, we will all meet an hour earlier just to get mic check done, make sure he has the black badge to get through con- the entire conference because there's like thirty thousand people at this conference, right? And David lands, I believe, like an hour and a half earlier than the session, and it's almost like time for us to meet. And we're like, where is David? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, Heart he is the guy. Like there's like 800 people in the audience that are going to be here specifically to watch him, right? So we called David. We're like, David, where are you at, man? He's like, um, I just landed and uh, uh, I'm about to go to my hotel. Uh, and I thought the session is like tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's in an hour. And he's like, oh, dang it. And so basically what he did is he jetted from the airport straight to his hotel. I don't even think he went to his hotel, but like he came straight to the conference, right? The guy is in like cargo pants. Like, this is like- <laughs> and just keep in mind, Asher was the one that told him the wrong time. No, 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 no. Oh. This, this was not me. Like, there's a lot of things that I do, but I'm very comfortable because of my oh, like, military hilarious. parents, you know? But the guy wanted comes. a good story 10 years later. <laughs> Well, actually, too, that would be a great one. <laughs> Anyways, so like, 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 what happens is this guy gets in a cab, comes to the thing, uh, to, to the conference location. We send special security for him to like bring him out. Uh, he doesn't register because, like, obviously, there's like a huge security risk if somebody's entering the uh, conference that that big without registering. Comes straight into the to a session, delivers an amazing presentation. Doesn't even miss a single slide. Wow. Nails the whole thing. This is one like we have to have on the podcast. Kim, you got to figure out how to how to get him on the podcast because because I've seen him present before, and I don't think he would mind if I said this, but because I get nervous too, and so you know he has stage nerves, and he has a routine to prep like so many people do. I do too, right? And so I mean that's pretty impressive. He just he must have gotten a lot done in the cab ride on the way over there. I'm sure did not miss a single slide. The people were like, "Whoa, this is like great!" And 800 people learned about the art of newsjacking, and like they were like. 
try to figure out. Uh, and I think he's, he's like, it's is it the New Rules of Marketing is also a book that he wrote, right? Yeah. It's in its eighth uh, edition and lately is featured in the new edition, by the way. Nice. So, yeah, he wrote that. It's like, I think it's one of the most famous yeah. marketing books, right? So anyways, like 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 when I heard that, uh, like, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, the guy because I follow a lot of stuff that he did. And, you know, like, I'm a big fan of you jacking as well. And I... I some somewhat sometimes successful at, at doing it, but that's where I learned it. And this is like 10, 12 years ago. So yeah, we got to have on the podcast, Kate. You yeah, gotta for sure. So what's your example? Well, so I wanted to touch based on what Kelly was saying, which is still, we're still in David Meerman, Scotland, because he, he lives and breathes all of this as well. So yeah. the parallel that you were, I believe you were touching on is what I call theater of the mind, right? So the theater of the mind is this incredibly powerful gift that we as humans have where when we're reading or listening, right, the, your, your imagination plays a role and fills in the blanks there. And that's why those acts are incredibly more meaningful and memorable than like watching a, a TV show or a movie. Right, because those are gimmies. You don't have to really do anything. You just blah, veg out, um, <laughs> right? So what I was thinking depends a lot on the about, movie, right? <laughs> depends on the movie. Yeah, I mean, if it's Alien, you're, the veg you're, out lines are like know. completely formulaic. You don't have to think at all. Hallmark. More independent film dramas where it's like a red balloon, like being watched yeah. for ten minutes. Then you then you got to put in your own imagination. <laughs> right, a lot of imagination. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. What's what's what I was thinking a lot about is, um, you know, there was that book. This is your brain on music, and um, I read it. It's fair, it's kind of thick, but what fascinated me was this idea, which is when your brain listens to music, Asher, it must instantly a new song specifically. So you get a new song, and your brain's like, ah, where do I index this new song in the library of the memory of my brain? And it's running down every other song you've ever heard before, trying to find familiar touch points so it knows where to log this one. And it's tugging on nostalgia and memory and emotion, which are all the things that build trust, and trust is why we buy, right? Now, similarly, Kelly, when you write a text message or a social media message or an email or a chat, when, and someone reads it, they hear a voice in their head, your voice, right? And so as the author, it's also your job to figure out how do you tug on nostalgia and memory and emotion and get that trust thing happening there, right? So these, the commonalities are the same. And this is what we fueled into lately because my idea was let's not just go for the sale let's go for the fan it's a double win we want the megaphone right and um and not just make myself yes well i want to give you one more proof proof in the pudding there's there, the okay? takeaway god okay so, I mean, and it sounds right. so well, simple that people should well, think about this stuff no i think we should dig into it it's a super yeah. fascinating topic both um i think in the context of using ai but also um even outside of that in just the human to human context which is obviously what uh, most businesses have done before but also to your point entertainment um which yeah. there's a fine line, right? Because it's an audience and you're trying to establish trust. And I think the challenge, right, um, in any of those things is you're often trying to establish trust very quickly. Um, you have a very limited window. And um, so it's an, it's an interesting question in terms of 
how are you framing, I guess when we think about it, A, what are your thoughts on sort of the best ways to do that human to human? And then we can discuss how does AI come into it? And can AI potentially doing do it better? Um, many people in the audience m- might have read the, I think it was the New York Times article where the reporter was talking to the Bing chat and the chat fell in love with him and started sounding really creepy, which was a total, total misfire. The chat was like, I don't think your wife is good for you. I'm good for you. So that was not the exact words, but it was very creepy. Um, now, of course, this is all very version 1.0, right? So we can easily imagine those kind of emotionally charged conversations where the AI becomes much more skilled and effective and, yeah. and people, you know, start to have feelings for, for the AI. But let's taking a step back um, because you also have had a lot of success as a marketer, right? Um, in your yeah. prior roles. Well, Wait, before okay. we, I feel like Kate has a little bit more to expand on just the the what happens in the mind and stuff. So, do you want to continue your thought, Kate? Well, I'll get I'll touch both of the. You guys are so awesome, by the way. Like, I love that we're having a circular <laughs> conversation because this is how I think, like not linearly. So, I hope people are keeping up. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is to say, like, yes. So, on the, I wanted to give you a proof point of of why what I said works so it at lately we only use lately to market lately nothing else only organic social media run through our ai that is designed to collaborate with humans specifically because that power of the theater of the mind the je ne sais quoi that that third party in the room is so impactful that you see results like a 98% sales conversion, which is what I have, or a 12,000% increase in engagement, which is what we got Gary Vaynerchuk, or a 40x increase in productivity, which is what we get Signify slash Philips Electric, right? So, and it's not just because it's ethical to include humans in the process of, of how AI works. It's because the results are so much more galactic. But to answer your question on the human side, Kelly, here's one of my one of the favorite things that I learned, which is um, when you're at a conference, like the one you were just at, Asher, um, recently, the, all the marketers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things I want, I want to, you want to be the takeaway, right? You want to be the thing that's memorable because it's a sea of so much going on. And I've found that it's, especially when we're all often A personalities and, and like being on stage naturally, it's very easy to walk in the room and be like, you know, hey, 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 right? Like be the loudest person. The harder thing, but the much more powerful thing to do is if you are the, the person that is the um, more the magnet in the room that is shining the light on other people, right? So you're making them glow, like giving them the spotlight. This is that two-way street that I'm talking about, right? With and I'm talking in circles, with the theater of the mind, listening and reading, if you are the author or you are wielding the microphone, you're doing a good job with that nostalgia and motion, et cetera, the person on the other side feels like they have a part in the conversation, right? They're playing a role here. And the idea is the same thing. If you're surrounded by people and you're making them feel as if though they are the ones on the stage, then they walk away with this, with a gift, right? They're a fan now. They're a fan. David Meerman Scott yeah, that's does. Interesting. Um, and what does that look like? Even even in the con- 
context of a conference, say, because um, I know Asher likes to go in and hold the stage. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly what we need. I feel like I mean, maybe Kelly's thinking the camera combo for sleep today, you know? But it is interesting because the idea of a magnet, when you think of a magnet at a party, right, you, you immediately think of, or at least I do, of the person who is um, telling stories or being funny and, and very charismatic and people are coming more to listen. Now, of course, people can talk, which I think is partly what you're saying. And then they feel part of the conversation, even though if you have like a transcript, the other side actually was not contributing as much. Um, but then you have another extreme where people who are just great listeners, right? Mm -hmm. And they really are not producing a lot of content themselves, so to speak. They're actually just really good at listening to the other person, kind of amplifying the other person and, and sh to your point, shining a light on the other person. But I think of those as sort of two different sort of personalities or approaches. Is, is what you're saying in the middle of those? Is it more the second? Yeah. That's so smart because, I mean, of course, everyone wants a good audience, you know, so amen to those listeners. But, um, you know, I think <laughs> the, the key is like dropping familiar touch points along the way that make you lean forward and go, oh, me too, right? That's that's really what you want, that common ground. Who are the people that can find the common ground? Um, which is why the weather is so beautiful. That's We started this conversation. Where do you live? How's the weather, right? That's that's what we you Those do. are the Zoom go-tos for sure. Where are you coming from? <laughs> so meaningful. Like it sounds like so dismissive, of course. But I mean, here, how many things have we dropped already in this conversation? We're talking about the Grateful Dead, David Mirren Scott. I've got a Pac-Man poster that's actually velour behind me, child of the 80s, right? Um, we talked about being a rock and roll DJ briefly. Like there's just so many ways that I'm trying to access the whoever's listening, whoever's watching, because we know that humans are multifaceted, right? So let me think, let's talk about this in the terms of go-to-market. The old way of the message being consistent and the same all the time, that is done. It's done because we think of it as spam now and we're bored. You have to be entertaining online. And humans, this is my friend David Allison's project called Value Graphics, humans respond to 56 values like productivity, uh, education, community, stuff like that. And so you have to figure out how to weigh a way to touch all those values in your conversation, right? And it's, it's, um, it's complicated. You're weaving a, a, a web so that you walk away and think, I love her. <laughs> I love her. That's what I want. Right. That's I what people always do when they meet Kelly anyway. So like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a very <laughs> thing. As you were saying this, I'm just like playing the things in my mind. I'm like, oh yeah. I think that I need to buy lately for my own personal use. To give myself more friends. What you said is actually very interesting because like like most let's call it folks that like want to learn marketing, right? Mm -hmm. They understand at some level somebody introduces them to empathy, right? The word empathy, right? And then they start thinking about the situation the person is professionally, right? But they really think about all the situations that they could be personally, right? And then the voice in the head that they're thinking about or the theater of the mind, right? As you're saying it, right? Mm -hmm. 
is almost always drawn from the professional environment versus the personal environment, right? And what you just hit on, it's a little tough, right? Uh, and it's interesting. I was just hanging out with Morgan Ingram last night, right? Like, like, and he's a very amazing content writer, right? Like, like he spent a lot of time. When you talk to the guy, you're like, wow, man, you are definitely a content person because you spent hours <laughs> studying this stuff, right? And he was explaining this concept saying like, look, you can rise up through all the content folks out there, to, I would say through 90% of the content folks out there, by just repeat uh, posting consistently, right? Then you can rise up to even like the next, like the 99% of them, by just making sure that you are relatable, right? Like like that, that you've actually understood their situation, right? Mm-hmm. And then he was like, but there's these Hall of Famers, right? And the Hall of Famers are playing a very different game, right? Mm-hmm. We couldn't unpack the conversation. Maybe we, should, we need to get him, get him on, the, on the podcast too. But like, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking about like, like uh, and we have Jamal Reimer on the, on the podcast too. And Jamal's number two lesson for me was like, hey, the, the deal's happening here. It's not happening here, right? <laughs> and, and, and we need to talk about this a lot more from a marketing perspective so that people can write amazing copy that sticks and then ultimately gets to fandom, right? And and people are, unfortunately, a lot of like execs are like, hey, get me these offs and deals and stuff like that. But like, if it was more about like, let's get fans and people really started focusing on like what's happening in the mind and what are people's experience, life experiences that you need to actually be cognizant of. So when you mm-hmm. write amazing copy and you do make a creative, that it resonates with all those people. And then they totally 100% are, uh, agreeing with what you're saying, which is like, they volunteer in versus yeah. you pull yeah. them in, they volunteer themselves in, right? And it's like yeah. a different level of voluntold in a way, right? Because you're telling an amazing story, but it <clears throat> it hits those points, right? Uh, amazing. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, this thing requires hours and hours and hours of work, but obviously you've created... <laughs> a tool that allows people to draw on some of it. So tell us, tell us about like how your company even became what it is and where oh, yeah, you're we should it. probably do that. <laughs> well, and, and to your point, like, so I'm a hall of famer. I'm going to, I'm just going to say that I am. So like when I write posts on LinkedIn, for example, I get 86,000 views, right? I'm really good at this. And so lately we taught lately to learn from me actually like it learns from you first and your best practices and I'll go over that but then it 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 defaults to me and then because I get the 98% sales conversion with my brand it defaults to that <clears throat> it's looking for different ways to support you you know so lately is a um ai fueled repurposing engine that is also a social media management employee advocacy and sales enablement publishing platform so it's like a lot all at once. So what wait, we, it learned from you as, and then basically it's advising or whoever's using it is essentially becoming more like you in their post. <laughs> no, it starts with you actually. And then it just use me, uses me as like a buffer a to kind of mark as to what works essentially. Yeah. So when you connect your social channels to lately and we study everything you've ever published going back for the last year on those channels. And we're specifically analyzing the messaging that performed the best for you, the highest. For highest you, okay. Engaging. Yeah, for you. And we're breaking that messaging down into words, ideas, phrases, and sentence structures. So we have a very clear model of literally 
um, how you sound, your brand voice, and then exactly what your target audience will like, comment, click, or share. Once we have that, then you ingest long-form content like this podcast, for example. We'll transcribe it instantly in the background. And we'll read it through with the model in mind. And we lift out the pieces that are in the model, and we clip up the video of who said what at the same time in that little snippet there. Right? And then we'll also do a style transfer, which is we'll take your take what's written there and and kind of uify it. <laughs> right. So for me, I say uh, in real life, I curse like a sailor and I try not to do that online. So I make up things like holy hot pickled jalapeno peppers, stuff like that. And it does that for me. <laughs> right? yeah. So initially, the client would be the best version of themselves uh, for their current audience that they were reaching. Yes. That, and would, they, that would be like day one of, of using the tool. Day one. Yeah. And, and unless if they have nothing, then it'll default to me, my brand, and then then and pickles. The, and pickles, obviously. <laughs> Billy Bean's another hot favorite. Um, but then we have millions of data sets from like all the customers we've ever worked with as well. So that's the next moat that it pulls from too. Scary thought. Two Kellys. <laughs> Wait a second. I really Wait want a clone. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Wait a second. I, I I mean, there's there's like a like, hundred tapes out there now. So. <laughs> you know, like people are like, oh, I don't want AI to replace me. And I'm like, I do. Like, God, <laughs> just think like what I could get done. Jeez. I feel like no. your page will become more and more popular because there's now like a sense of familiarity and and almost like eventually nostalgia about you because they're like <laughs> This sounds vaguely, but not exactly familiar. I they don't know do. why. I love this person. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, the 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 thing is that's so important though is this human trainings that we've been talking about, right? This theater of the mind. So what we built into lately was um, every little thing that you do, it's taking note from, and we surface you even the word clouds, the exact ideas in black and white that are ringing true with your audience and you get the opportunity to be like AI that's awesome it'll say like oh the idea of humans versus AI got 43,000 impressions in two posts do you want us to do more of this and you can say yeah that's great and then it could say well what about pickles and you can say nope off the rails right so there's a massive learning um, with the human involved and and to touch on the question you had earlier Kelly about the New York Times um, so <laughs> let, let's level set everybody here today real quick. So AI, as we know it in Hollywood, does not exist. That's fake, right? Um, magic does not exist. I'm so sorry to break this to everyone. Uh, you know, major <laughs> Harry Potter fan myself. So um and I, I want to believe in magic, but it doesn't exist. If you think we of, just lost all our kids, <laughs> they're gone. We <laughs> <laughs> just killed everybody. <laughs> I just, I might, uh, Kadabra, right? <laughs> um, so, so if you think of like, imagine humans. So, so as as mammals, we're pretty useless. We're we come out of the womb and we can't feed ourselves. We can't defend ourselves. We can't do anything without care from another human. It's, we're pretty unique in the mammal scape uh, like that. And AI is the same way. And so if you think of AI as a human, it's about three months old, right? Requires <laughs> a lot of care. But it does talk better than a three-month-year-old because uh, <laughs> as a mother, I was shocked at how little newborns can do or say. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I think like somebody, I'm gonna, somebody online, and I feel bad. I should figure out who it was and take, not take credit for this and give them credit. But they, they said emotional intelligence is what's missing and still. And that's true. So like we're short on the EI. Yeah. Yes. I would assume that is yeah. very. But also you made me think of Silicon Valley oh. because like, have you guys seen, seen it when they fall in love with Fiona? <laughs> weird (laughs) okay so let's talk let's talk a little bit about like how do go-to-market professionals right actually practice before they even use lately right like practice understanding how to evoke nostalgia in their let's call it copy or creative or in all their communications right like like before i train the ai i need to actually be somebody who who is something like that because i feel like like ai is about to get into a place where people are not going to be scared or be super fans and stuff like that right like but i think the basic is still like you as a human also need to be cognizant of these things and so do you have any thoughts around that kate yeah so i'll give you some quick takeaways so so the rules that i use i wrote them down and i give workshops and i did that's how crystal and i met i i did a workshop for um, hubspot academy on the rules so i'll I'll just like kind of give you an example of one um so so when i write i like to drop a lot of these these things these kind of nuggets into um into the to the mix right so here's i'm just going to read you a social post i wrote um so why how's the weather is the simplest most powerful question still plus other sales and marketing pro tips that'll make you go hmm with moi and catch allison so what i'm doing here is a couple of things first of all um i'm asking the question why when you use why it's always followed by because we all know this right so i'm just tapping in on something that everybody knows a very familiar kind of thing and it's it's tricky like that because I said, why, how's the weather is still the most powerful question, but I didn't give the because. I hid the because behind the link, right? Very tricky there. And then I'm I'm using a question, a double question. How's the weather is a question framed inside the question, right? And that is a great way of making people sort of lean forward. They want an answer to the question. I'm saying it still is. I'm making a statement also here. So the statement, even though it's in the form of a question, has the ability to convey authority. But I'm I'm subtly, I'm not undercutting my authority, but I'm giving you an access point so you don't feel like I'm commanding you into oblivion because I'm couching it in the face of a question. The other thing that I'm doing is I'm referencing the 90s tips that'll make you go, hmm, right? And then I also am repre- rep- referencing the 70s. I, I think of myself as Miss Piggy a lot, and I refer to myself as, as moi, right? So there's a there's a whole lot pack, packed into there. Incredible. Interesting. <laughs> that was, yeah. I mean, and, and, and so I, I guess the question becomes, as people go down this path, right? eventually you also hit a milestone or maybe like a blocker or maybe like a point where you're like, am I going to lose too much of who I am as I'm going down this path? Right. And, and I want to come to the, to the technology piece of this in a little bit, but I, I just want to stay focused on the person because again, like I said earlier on, 
so my firm belief that like every salesperson, if they do not learn marketing are just going to be done. Right. Like, like, yeah. and so, but these things like writing effective copy and writing, understanding how creative actually works, like is really, really important. Right. And so, it, but on that journey, you can lose yourself. It's really, I just have, I think it's so interesting because on the one hand, right, the goal is to establish trust, right? And there's this concept of being an authentic person, but then taking these like 15 to 20 tips and tools and changing your content um, smacks of artifice. Now, does that mean it's wrong? I don't mean that in derogatory sense. It, it, it doesn't, right? And obviously, um, you know, I think people who are marketing on behalf of companies and brands expect to do um, some measure of sort of changing their voice to fit the brand. Having said that, I do think marketers choose to work at companies where there's an alignment between their authentic self and the brand, right? So I used to work at a branding agency and we did a lot of B2B SaaS, but we also did some direct to consumer. And I remember doing like a craft beer and because it was just a branding like commitment, so it was like three to six months in one project, I was okay to do it. But I was like, never in a million years could I like work full time for this company because I'm not <laughs> hip in this way. I'm not like cool. And like that was the brand voice. It felt it was very artificial for me, um, which doesn't mean it can't be done. Right. But it but it feels inauthentic. So I love Asher's question because I do feel from the human level, even just as workers, mm. what is the connection in your mind between intentionally thinking about the theater of the mind and using that and your knowledge of it to, to create trust and connection um, in such a intentional way? Yeah. So, and that's your, it's the nuance there, which is the intention of the persona. So when I'm on the air, you're listening to XM50, The Loft, right? That's my persona. That's my on-air persona. It's me, but it's just, it's a different slice of me. The person that I just read to you online, that's me, but that's very specifically my online persona, right? It's not, it's like, you know, when we go to a wedding and I put on a dress and heels, my elbows are off the table, you know, until we've had too much champagne probably, but I, and I'm sitting up straight, <laughs> you know, all those things. But, you know, tonight on the couch, I'm going to be in my jammies and having tequila with no mixer probably, because that's how I feel like rolling on Friday night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So... <laughs> I think it's the, and, and David Meerman Scott, by the way, is the same way. The guy who's on stage is a different guy that I, you know, went for a hike with in Woodstock a couple months ago with, right? It's, it's. I think that's super valid point. And I think if you look at like method actors, that's the extreme, right? Because <laughs> they're acting, but then they're literally adopting and living another persona in their life. But, but when you think about how people live and work right now, right, your job may be, let's just say 50 hours of your, of your week, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of time to embody what may only be 10% of your personality, Um yeah, so, I mean, this is the game, right? Like, you're right. <laughs> it, when you're in sales, especially, though, you are you have to turn it on. Like, for example, at the end of the day, I always we always sit and watch TV because I just talked all day long. 
I'm on all day long. I'm putting on a show here. I'm putting on a show with investors. I'm putting on my CEO hat with my team. Like I got to be these different people all day long. And it's, it's effort, you know, major. Effort. What if I don't you didn't have to put a show on, you know, what, what, what if people were, that's just who you were and maybe that's where you ultimately well, get to. Yeah. I mean, I'm cheapening it by saying that it is who me, who I am, but it's, it's a certain part of me that I need to highlight yeah. to get this specific thing done. Right. Because yeah. I mean, our whole lives are, I believe this is going to make somebody mad. I feel like um, <laughs> everybody's life is about getting something done. We're all trying to get something done, lots of things done. And so communication is about that objective. I want you to love me. I want you to take out the trash. I want you to make the sale. I want you to fund my company, whatever it is. I want you to be a good guest on my show. And you have to change you have to think about how do I get that person to do what I want specifically because the way I motivate Kelly is different than I the way I motivate Asher right and if you if you're not doing that it, it's not going to work for you that's why some people are really good at this and some people are not that's really interesting yeah. um I I have a very hard time thinking that way but I will say I know that it quote costs me even in my job which is not, is not a sales job and that's also why I know I'd be a terrible salesperson because I feel like I am too honest of a person um, and don't have very <laughs> I don't have very good heart <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> right. Asher knows this well, but I'm too honest of a person. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Where are we going in this podcast? Hold on, hold on. I know. This, I was a philosophy major, and I feel like this episode is tapping ah, into my yeah. college days. That's so hilarious. We just went from like, let's help you be the best version of you to like, salespeople are liars. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're one part of themselves to get the job done, which I think is an accurate statement. So, I think so, so, Kelly, though, you, sorry, real quick, you can, you, you're very intelligent, clearly. And so, you know, to lean on that skill when you, when you need something that, that you can use it for. So like, I personally put both feet in my mouth most of the time. <laughs> I just do, but I use it, right? Because I already know that's my default. That just is how I am. And so that kind of, ah, shucks, whoops, charm, like it gets me a lot of stuff. I mean, it does, right? So I don't, I don't bother to correct it because it works for me. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think where I'm at in this podcast is like, if you want to exist, you're very welcome to like just be you and just be all about you and just go through life and you're going <laughs> to achieve some level of success. We just don't know what it is, right? And you may not achieve it all, right? But if you want to live, right, then you must care. And if you must care, then there's no like level of caring. It's you either care or you just don't care. And if you care, you must actually deliver your thoughts in a way that people would talk to themselves and understanding where they're coming from personally and professionally is like really important. And when you do that, it'll start showing up in your copy and your creative, which if you're a salesperson, you absolutely need to be able to present your thoughts in the way that other people know how to understand because you are trying to get them to understand your point of view. And if you are a marketer, you must write extremely amazing, clear, specific copy. It doesn't have to be hype, but it has to be very clear. 
and you are not going to be able to write it if you don't know where they're coming from, right? And so the two skills have to come together. This literally, this is deja vu because we were just talking about this yesterday as well. It's like, like copywriting, creative, presenting. If you just do those two, three, three things well, from the perspective of like how another person likes to hear about themselves from their own perspective, you will win, right? And and that's what I think like the the where we are in this like economic slowdown, et cetera, et cetera, reset, whatever you want to call it, right? Is we have an opportunity to actually live and not just exist, which I think was what we were already doing, because it's all about hype, T2, D3, this, 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 grow, 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 grow. And you just don't have to live by those rules anymore. You can actually just become a really amazing copywriter, a really amazing creative person, and a really amazing presenter. And most people will do really well just by being averagely better than on these three skill sets. Mm. What do you think? I think the, I was just like, I was thinking about the mirror as you were saying that, right? So everybody likes to look in the mirror because we're narcissists at, and you know, by <laughs> default, you know. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> just throwing it out there. So. Everybody listening, you're a narcissist. <laughs> you know, well, because on Zoom is, you know, here we are, what are we on? We're not on Zoom, but like, it's the same idea. Like, you know, I'm like, which part of our audience? <laughs> we're going to have to go to confession after this. Jesus. It's like, there's no magic. Like, you're all narcissists. <laughs> I know, liars. It works. But I mean, you know, so you're look you're looking at how often do you look at people in the eye on the camera? You're you're looking at yourself. I mean, this it just happens. We can't we're that's a human nature. And so yeah. it's like generally speaking, people like to talk about themselves. Everybody knows that. You go to a party and you just ask questions and you're off the, you know, you're off to the races. Um so I think like so, so so there's that obvious thing, but the other thing you made me think about was, um, I don't know if it's, it's like to, to me, to be human and to be good at your job, which is kind of tied together, you want, you're always aspiring to be better, right? Like that's part of the human experience. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to try to get onto the road, you know, that's the road you're on. It's like getting 1% better every day or whatever the the mantra is there and um if you're i mean you're just you're not living if that's not in your in your aspect so if you want why wouldn't you want to be a better communicator which by by default makes you a better salesperson <laughs> because um, yeah. all communication is some kind of sale right get me to do something give me your money Make for the record, i believe kelly would be an amazing salesperson if she actually really wanted to but she doesn't want to be that so that's like <laughs> the so problem yeah so yeah, um, no yeah so I, I agree with you. I think I think it, it's like it's like everybody wants to do better. I think it's also trained behavior because we've been trained like that through school, right? But I think everybody just wants to to live because and if if all the constructs that we've been taught just vanished away, vanished, right? We would just actually act like normal people, right? Like which would be <laughs> let's go live and build shared experiences. And some of those are gonna be great and some of those aren't gonna be great, but the ones that aren't great, we're just gonna learn from them and not do them again because that's how humans are trained, right? Like when the first time you hit fire or you touch fire, you're like, oh shit, this, I'm just not gonna do that again. Right? <laughs> and it's, it just doesn't make any sense, right? And so, uh, or or if like, like, uh, like, I mean, this is going to resonate with a few people, hopefully, and not alienate people like we've been doing the rest of this podcast. But like, 
<laughs> you get a title this podcast. Like, <laughs> you're all narcissist. Like, <laughs> and there's no magic. <laughs> like, as, you, as, you, as you go life, right? And for the folks that have kids, right? Like, like there's more people that have two kids than have like three kids, right? But the the the, the, the thing here is like after you've had a couple of kids, right? And you try to get like your life back together. Most people, I believe, don't have kids after that because they're like, oh, we understood that experience. It was great. But we also understand that we want to live the rest of our life also with shared experiences with the with the four. And a lot of the families that do, and I'm sure there's data around this, but like a lot of the families that actually go in that direction do end up cre- uh, like being very invested in their kids and then the kids become amazing humans and they go out to do great, great things versus the people that like falter back on and, uh, you know, have... Uh, have a lot more kids and again as i say this is probably a very controversial statement as I'm making it. But the goal here is like like the body is designed to not do things when it learns that like that that, that there's a better way to do things right um so i'll pause there because i'm sure i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail on this one yeah i mean i think you hope that people learn i mean that's that's the not not everybody i feel has that great skill there and i think that is a skill you know, we've been talking about that um, at my company as well. Like when I've said this before, when we hire people, our expectation is that the worst mistake you will make oh. is still going to be just fine. Right. So yeah. we very much prize the idea of just doing it, figuring it out, like ask for permission. No, you know, don't don't ask permission, ask for, ask for forgiveness and just go make a bunch of mistakes and learn from them. And when we know right away when, when we meet people and we've hired them and that's not working out because it's a, it's a, it shows us that they can't self self learn in this way. And in a startup, we don't have time to teach them. Right. So yes. it's a, it's a, it's a super catch 22 because yep. not everybody is built, built like that, which is totally understandable. There's nothing wrong with that, but yep. um, to, in order to, you know, fail fast and fix it and, it, it, it would be okay in another company, just not in a startup. And then again, yeah. I think intentionally understanding why you are in a situation which is designed to grow fast and make it or break it, right? Like, I don't think a lot of people understand this. Actually, like when this whole SVB debacle happened, right? And I was standing in line outside of SVB and there's like 30 <laughs> founders. And I'm just like, 40% of you people should never have raised money. Because yeah. you just added a lot of like like anxiety into your life and a lot of like urgency in your life it was for no reason because they were going to be okay and then when you ask them like hey how much money do you actually want in life they would throw these random numbers out and they're like well they don't even know what they would do with it right and so like the whole intentionality yeah. about like why am i even in a startup and does the startup actually align with what i want to do and does the values of the company align with what I, who I am? If a lot of pe- more people kind of like started dotting this stuff out, you would have a lot more successes than the scary stories that we hear. And uh, and, and, I, and I do think that that's where we are right now. Like people are actually really questioning, like why are they even in this thing? Specifically because a lot of founders are actually returning money that they raised from from, uh, from from venture. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that happening right now. Yeah. Um, what do you What are you gonna say, Kelly? You look inspired. Oh, I wasn't inspired that by that. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about something else I want to go back to for a while. So if you have a response, to, but I, but I agree. It. I would just say I, I agree that not everyone um, fits in an early stage startup and nor does everyone have that sort of 
need to progress. I think probably the three of us do um, on this call, but I do. I think that's a personality trait. I think some people are very content to go into the same office and do their work and get off at 5 p.m. Don't think about it again until nine the next morning, um, which again is fine. I don't think that that, I think society needs all different personality types, right? Like you got to fit in where you go and, and that's how society runs. But, um, but what I want to return to is this personalization thread, right? So I feel like in marketing, we're in very early days around personalization. So what we have is websites that can personalize based on who's visiting. Um, that's probably the most interesting thing that I think has some wide level of adoption. Obviously, we have smart content in emails as well, where we can flip up the content depending on who's, who's receiving it. Um, sales. Um, there's the wide spectrum. You still see a lot of people company first name, like yeah. very rudimentary attempt at personalization, even though everyone I think acknowledges it's table stakes to use it in marketing and sales. Um, but when you look industry wide, I would say we're not that far down that journey yet. I think AI could open up a ton of really amazing, but potentially um, hard to manage possibilities of say LinkedIn eventually makes it where you can change up your post to be surfacing to different audiences that you've selected, right? What's really interesting is a lot of what I hear you saying with the theater of the mind is it's about tapping into those individuals' triggers, right? So some people might not um, know much about 70s bands or um, Miss Piggy. like So those things aren't going to be as much of a sticky for them. Um, it might still be endearing because it is. But like I, I, I think if we go far down that road of personalization powered by programmatic um, tools, essentially... We could see a world where companies can whip up a crazy level of personalization and have their own brand voice kind of modified in the way that you were saying earlier, where you have a slightly different brand voice to persona X, um, to your RevOps person, but then to the marketer or the salesperson, your brand voice changes a little bit. So I'd love to hear your thoughts as someone who's probably on the forefront of thinking about those issues. Um, a, where are you? We in that? Do you agree with kind of how I described the landscape? And then B, where do you think we're going? Yeah, I love and I love the way you 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 speak. I'm I'm stealing little ideas from you all, the whole time. By the way, <laughs> <Damn>. uh, <laughs> I do agree with you. I mean, the you know, so you, yes, I I feel like the the generally the personalization or customization now is fairly rudimentary we, we get, we're all on to it right um and which is why we like we haven't done any cold emails like we're doing one weird experiment at the moment which i don't want to be doing at all but a long story why we're doing it um so you know open ai um doesn't have the ability to customize to your voice right now it, it can't understand your audience because there's no learning learning loop of data there so you know, you and I put in the same um, inputs, generally we'll get the same outputs out. It's very much like cliff notes, right? With the with chat GPT, you know, we, we were in their closed beta when it was chat GPT-2, so four years ago. Um, so we're, we're OGs, but, but all these other, even Jasper, by the way, included, like 
they can't, they don't own the engine. ChatGPT is an engine that everybody, it's a car they're driving there. They can change the color of the paint of the car. That's it. And the engine also only has data that's always a year old. So it's not up to date, right? So my machine learning and natural language processing is nine years old and it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) The whole engine is mine, right? Um, And then because we're able to customize (laughs) your voice, you're making fun of me, learn learn your voice and learn your audience. uh, My friends at Microsoft were actually asking me, like, how can Lately expand the impact of OpenAI? And, and this is how, right? So I'm I'm convinced that AI, I'm not even convinced. I know that the future of, of AI is AI and humans together. And I've already been living that for nine years. And yep. everyone else has to catch up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and so Come on, Asher, get with it. I know, I know. <laughs> You're holding a society back. <laughs> the... I, I know we're, we're going to run, run, run out of time, uh, but oh shoot, I, shoot, I didn't realize. Yeah, <laughs> as, as, as we're as we're as we're working through this whole AI thing, I do believe that there is the concept of private AI that it's going to come up at some point in time, and it's because of what you just said. There's going to be models that are just very customized for certain situations, right? But there's also people's data that they're just not going to be comfortable in putting, sharing it across this, let's call it escrow of data that we are feeding mm-hmm. into this giant AI, right? And so, and it happened with cloud also, right? I mean, it's no different than, than that. And by the way, <clears throat> data scientists have been working like this forever. I mean, and and that's kind of the basis of all AI anyways, right? And so, so the, 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 um, the like there's the general consumption, let's call it AI, totally that will help us do things better, but then there is going to be this like niche AI that is designed for like certain scenarios, and um, and I and and maybe like like I don't know at some point in time all it's just AI and like all this stuff, but I I I don't think that's in the near future that's going to be a, a a thing. But to answer the personalization question, at least from my viewpoint, is like well, if everybody uses <clears throat> the same person, uh, personalization for AI and the AI is designed to like look at what tre- what's the trending topic, then we're kind of back into like unpersonalized emails anyways because they're all going to look like the same thing and they're going to be like spam, you know, like in a way. Exactly. So the people for sure are going to be... They're all to- talking pickles to each other. Exactly. Yes, exactly, like- exactly. <laughs> so, One so great loop know. of pickles. No. <laughs> but Asher, I think you answered your own question. It's these unique data sets, right? That could, yeah. could provide the competitive exactly. edge for people to to go ahead which it sounds like that's how kate's tool works essentially making a person the best version of themselves while no one else is taking all of those person's posts and and viewing them although things that are public in the future may um indeed be consumed other other places but i think there's always additional data that that you could for example be pulling from people's um papers how they are in their slack internal channels talking like wherever they want to get like a unique data set yeah all right yeah. i only have one minute left so if it's okay we're gonna have to bring kate back on, on, <laughs> on, because I, th- I think in this journey like of how do we use ai uh uh i, th- I think there's like other learnings that that, that we'll get but kate before we let you go, outside of Mr. David Miller Scott, are there two other people that you would recommend bringing on the show now that you know how Kelly and I do these things? 
Oh, boy. We won't be turned off by our hopefully <laughs> slowing conversation. Yes. <laughs> well, for sure, my friend David Allison, who I mentioned, um, he consults the United Nations and value graphics is his baby. It's the death of demographics, right? So it's the idea of, of predicting human yes. behavior based on what they care about as opposed to their name and their 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 date of birth or their um, sex or their location. Because, you know, the three of us are in different places. We all look different. We're different ages. We come from different backgrounds. But we have a lot of commonalities we discovered here today, right? And so it's much more valuable to understand how we're making decisions based on what we care about than our eye color. Um, so definitely David would be a good one. And um, then I'm going to have to think about the other one. <laughs> okay, let me get back to you. Um, I want to. I want to recommend a wonderful woman, and I'm trying to decide which one. So let me let me get back to you on okay, that. Okay, well, you can you can recommend two also. You know, we're here all day. Well, not all day. But, you know. <laughs> Lash will send you fake personalized cold emails following up for your third one. Right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> your name. Hi, Kristen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed being a guest on our podcast as well. And we really enjoyed learning from you. Yeah. Back at you guys. You guys are super cool. And um, I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Unlearn. Subscribe wherever you listen and visit unlearnpodcast.com for the transcripts.